Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. If you want to learn useful, practical how-tos of weight loss, exercise science, nutrition, or just how to optimize your time in the gym and life, this show is for you. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Maggie Rafferty. Maggie holds a master's degree in education, and she's been working in the field for about a decade. But before she was working in education, she worked as a personal trainer. She's also a precision nutrition coach, and she's worked as a strength conditioning coach for Ottawa International's men's soccer team and the women's rugby team of Carleton University, and was quite the athlete in her day, winning pretty much every award you could as a high school superstar. She is a multiple-time Canadian powerlifting and Team Canada champion. And when she's not facilitating environments for enriched learning, For tomorrow's leaders, she's curating healthy upbringing of her two boys, both under the age of seven. Welcome to the show, Maggie. Thanks, Chris. And thanks for finally having me on your podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Better late than never, I like to say. Absolutely. You are on today because we are going to talk about how to raise healthy children. And this is a topic that we are both very passionate about. So today's dialogue is going to be a little bit back and forth. And I want to start right off the bat. We know that in Canada and the U.S., children are not as healthy today as they were a decade ago, two decades ago, four decades ago. And for the majority, it's been getting worse and worse and worse. We are seeing rates of childhood obesity climb as high as 30% in some states in the U.S. There's some provinces here in Canada, specifically in the Maritimes, where you're seeing childhood obesity rates in the high 20s. It's not getting good but there is some solid strategies that you've been implementing over the years. And we're going to talk about some of those amongst a few other things as well. Tell me about your two kids. Tell me some things that you like to do to keep them healthy. Awesome. That's a great question, Chris. And I'm glad that you brought up the raising childhood obesity rates because it's, it's a huge issue. And I think as parents, we can implement some really simple strategies with our kids to improve their overall health. So a few things that that I've done and I, and I prioritized in our family is uh, nutrition, fitness, and habits. And I'll start with nutrition. And, and one of the, the things people made fun of us I, at the beginning was we didn't give our two-year-old at the time, he had had no sugar, no refined sugar until mm-hmm. his, I think, second birthday. Mm-hmm. And then even his birthday cake Uh, on his second birthday was made from cocoa and avocados. So, you know, everyone's, oh, you're depriving your child, but, you know, I would argue that he was, he was super healthy. So nutrition has been a really important part of our family. Um, A few things that, that I've done with the kids is food prep, right? Having, having the boys um, work with me to prep food, to make shakies in the morning, Mm -hmm. to cut vegetables, we talk about what goes in the food. We explain to them the importance of protein to have healthy muscles, uh, how we have to have fats and carbohydrates. Um, and one of the things as well is identifying that, yes, of course, we can have those, those junk foods, right? Like the mm-hmm. ice cream and like the chips, but explain to them why we don't have it often, 
why we can still have it as a treat and how sometimes those foods don't make us feel our best selves. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely one of the ways that uh, we've brought the, the topic and the discussion of nutrition into the house. That, that's very interesting when you say the words um, deprivation, depriving your child of sugar. You know, I've been deprived of skydiving for 36 years. I've never been taken skydiving. So technically, I've been deprived of it. But I've also never done it. So I don't really know what I'm missing. And I think it's easy that when you have a, a newborn to a toddler, um, if they've never had it, they, they don't really know what they're missing. I don't think sugar is a food group. So taking it out of their, their lifestyle, their diet, I don't think they have to have that. And I don't think you're being aggressive with, with keeping it away from them, you know, because there's no social pressures at age two to be smashing sugar. The social pressures, I think, would be more on the parents than on the children. Absolutely. And I did notice, though, as the boys got older, when they went to parties and they went to social events and they even when they went to school and they saw their kids having these um, more sugary snacks, right? Like for roll-ups and bear paws and things like that. That's when they started to come home and ask for those things. And I, I think it was less about the taste of it themselves because they never had it and more about seeing all of their friends have these snacks when they had fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the environment that they're brought up in can lead to certain things. And you see that all the time. I always like to think of kids as being born perfect, right? They're not messed up until we mess them up. And, and we, we definitely have our ways of messing our kids up. Remember, the youngest is still a biter. So <laughs> that was probably learned from mom, not from dad. But, but, you know, children, they learn things based on their environment, based on examples that they see, examples that they, they live with on a day-to-day basis. So it's not a bad idea to be that example when it comes to food, be that example when it comes to nutrition. You mentioned before about as they got older, incorporating more junk food, like you said, ice cream, then you explain to the kids how it can be good versus bad. You want to go into a little detail, give us a couple examples? Yeah. So, I mean, who doesn't love a good bowl of ice cream, right? And I know you definitely do. That is your, your one vice is the, is the ice cream, but my Achilles you know, heel, my Achilles heel, <laughs> it, it, could, it could take me down and out like nothing else. <laughs> and I, like I, the kids wanted these things and I, we thought, well, we like it right? And we eat these things in moderation. And I, I didn't see a huge issue with bringing it into, um, into the family as well and, and allowing the kids to have ice cream occasionally, right? It's, there's something sort of fun about getting an ice cream cone, sitting on the, the curb and eating it. And we, we have these talks with them before we get, we go to McDonald's and get the ice cream or to Baskin Robbins. We say, look, like this is a treat. We don't have this often. And remember that this is not good food. It's not good food for your body, but it's good food that it tastes good, right? Mm. So that taste is, is okay to have those, those delicious tasting things every once in a while. But we also remind them too that, you know, if they have too much, they won't feel good, mm. right? Or if they don't feel very good the next day, we say, well, what did you have yesterday, right? What would, do you think that you had in your nutrition yesterday with that it would have made you feel this way today? Right. Mm-hmm. And we're not trying to shame the food or anything like that. That has nothing to do with it. But we do want to sort of bring their attention to the fact that, you know, these foods are, are nice to have occasionally. They're not part of our everyday diet. And that, you know, sometimes these foods don't make you feel as good as, you know, if we had an apple or a banana. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when we when we teach our children to do things like ride a bike and they fall off a bicycle, we don't shame them. We don't say you fell off because you did something wrong. We say you fell off because of A, B, or C. We educate them. And it's the same with food. Daddy, my tummy feels a little bit upset this morning. Why do you think that is? 
I don't know. What did you eat yesterday? Did you have any, any junk food? Oh yeah, I had this before bed. That's probably why your stomach doesn't feel good. So there's no shaming. It is a form of education. Then they can associate. Sometimes I don't feel good if I eat this versus, oh, I feel good when I don't eat that or I feel good when I eat other more nutritious foods. And, and that, that's a good environment you want your kids to grow up in. Definitely. And I like that you brought up the ideas um, well as like uh, kids emulating what their parents or, or sort of monkey see monkey do, right? Mm -hmm. and, and if we talk about sort of that second thing that we brought into the family was the idea of fitness, right? And this started quite young. Uh, we've always had sort of fitness equipment in the house and, and we do a lot of workouts in the house, especially after just having the kids, um, the accessibility of the gym wasn't there. Right. So I would go, I would do workouts in the house or in the garage at the time. And I would bring uh, Michael, for example, our, our oldest one. And he would, how old, is, how old is Michael? He is, uh, he'll be seven this summer. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the kids would watch, we watch us exercise. You know, we, I had a video the other day of, of Michael when he was, I think two, two and a half came downstairs butt naked into the workout area, grabs the dumbbell and starts lifting. He start, he gets on the bench and starts doing the bench press. Butt naked. Right? Butt naked. And he's like, why do I need clothing? And he's like, I'm doing my workouts. And I was like, well, fair enough, buddy. <laughs> um, but he saw us training. They see us working out and they want mm -hmm. to be part of it. Now, are you benching naked too? <laughs> Not often. <laughs> Talk about a raw bench. <laughs> <laughs> What's your true raw bench? <laughs> so that's been something that it was kind of, it was really, um, it was nice to see. We didn't force it. Um, we sort of just were there. And when the kids came down and said they wanted to work out, uh, we welcomed them, right? There was, of course, certain rules that have to be followed in, in the fitness area, shoes on, things like that, clothes on now. Mm -hmm. um, but, but overall, you know, not making, making it sort of fun. Right. And the boys really kind of took to it, even so much as this this past year, they get us to start timers. They do their own little workout, whatever they want. Right. And they're like, wow, mommy, I'm getting really sweaty. Right. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that and talk about their heart rate and sort of encourage that that active living. Mm -hmm. I like the I like the gym to be exclusive to the kids. This is what I do at my house. At my house, I like to be the example. The kids see me work out, but I make it very strict working in fitness, and you can probably agree on this, a lot of people that we know that work in fitness, their kids are not into it. Their kids don't, they don't want to do what mom and dad do, especially when they get a little bit older. Now we're, I'm still lucky. My kids are young as well. Um, but I, I don't want to ever force them into fitness. I don't want to say you have to go in for a run. You have to do this. You have to do that. So I try to make it exclusive. It's a cool club. You don't get in until maybe you're a little bit older. But if you are in, there's rules. And if you can't follow, I take you out right away. Like you said, shoes on. Got to have shoes on in the gym unless you're doing barefoot specificity training, right? But on the platform, I got a platform built up in my basement and the kids are not allowed on the platform when I'm doing a set. And they know that. And they know to sit and watch so they don't get hurt. They also know some exercises they're not ready for. And I've told them, I say, you're not ready for that yet? You're not strong enough. You're not big enough. And they say, oh, I can do it. I can do it. I say, okay, you come show me now. But I want to create that exclusivity where they want to be part of it and they're not part of it yet, rather than forcing them into doing it. If I want to force the kids into some form of fitness or exercise, it's tag. 
it's, it's always going to be tag. So any parents out there, and I want to give a lot of how to's or a lot of tips, any parents out there, if you want your kids to be physically fit, you don't have to be superiorly fit. You just have to be able to jog at a moderate to fast pace multiple times a day. Like tag is one of the easiest things that you can do. And, and when they tag you, if you're really quick, you get them back. You don't actually have to run. You just got to be really quick with that. So it's like a reaction. So tag is one of the go-tos I like to use with the kids. That's great. And it's setting that example too, right? If mom and dad are out there playing in the park, right? If you're going to the track, things like that, I think the kids will definitely um, benefit from that, from that mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Example is a good one there. I mean, how many times do we see parents biking with their children? The kids are wearing helmets and the parents are not wearing helmets. What kind of message does that say? Mm -hmm. that, I mean, like everyone can fall off their bike. Everyone can get hit by a car. Everyone can have brain damage. So when you wear the helmet, it says a different message. And, and I will echo what you're saying. If you want your kids to be healthy, step one should be, you need to example, be the example yourself. Monkey see, monkey do, like you said. Yeah. And even we practice that in the classroom, right? You know, how do I, I want to model behavior. So I behave in a way that I want my students to behave or I show them, I use exemplars, right? This mm -hmm. is what I, the product that I want from you, right? So they know exactly what, what they need to do, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really, really important. I mean, of course, we're always going to have those parent moments where, you know, you say to your kids, don't do what I do, do what I say, mm -hmm. right? But I think when we're coming to overall, you know, healthy children, we have to set the example. Mm -hmm. We do, right? Mm -hmm. Even if we may not always like it, right? If we want to have healthy children in the end, we need to be that example and set, set that example for them. Yeah, 100%. When it comes to things like like food and with nutrition, um, what are some other examples that you use with your kids? So something that, um, that I really like is I, we have a garden at the house mm. um, and we start a few things by seeds. So the kids get to see the plants growing and they're super excited to be able to see that, right? Because it happens quite quickly, right? When you plant the seed within a week or two, you have these plants starting to grow. So the kids can really start to see, um, you know, where food starts right? Um, and then we bring it up into the garden. And then every day we take the kids out. Well, look, there's a new cucumber here, or there's a new carrot here, things like that. And then they're able to see food grow, see the time and effort it takes to grow food, and then also be able to, to eat the food that they grow. And I think it's sort of a sense of, of pride and accomplishment when you're able to do that. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you plant any fruit roll-ups? Not often. They're, they're really hard to grow. It takes a long time for the, uh, the especially in Orleans. Yeah, especially in Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> the weather's not conducive to that. Now, will you have the children help you with the, the gardening process? Absolutely. Um, everything from starting the seeds, when we bring it outside, I get them to help me um, take the weeds out. And then I show them also how to use um, the vegetables. And I have an herb garden as well. And I explain to them, oh, these are the herbs from the garden and we're putting them in our tomato sauce and kind of make them part of the process and show them how important it is um, to use healthy foods and mm -hmm. how neat it is to grow the foods yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I know some people, they don't have a green thumb and they say, well, gardening's not for me or I can't grow grass and all that stuff. Is it hard to garden? Is it expensive to garden? Not really. Um, I would say as long as you have a little plot of soil somewhere, um, you can grow something, right? Even if it's just one or two little things, it's a nice little process that you can do with your kids and get them involved in, in that. And they can also bring up bigger, bigger um, conversations, right? Where does food come from? 
How do we get the food at the grocery stores, right? Even if you don't have access to your own garden, you can go to a farmer's market and, and talk to, to local people that grow food for the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where do snacks fit in your world? Where, where do oh, snacks, snacks fit for kids? I feel snacks. like I'll tell you a little story. So I don't know what's happening where you are, but where I am, we're all in lockdown. It's all virtual learning. So the kids are at home and very lucky that my, my children's teachers are exceptional. They go above and beyond. They, they do these extra things. They provide extra activities. They check in with us parents all the time. It's phenomenal. Um, and I love them for that. The school system promotes snacks all the time. And all my kids are always asking me for is snacks, snacks, snacks. Do children need snacks all the time? No, absolutely not. If they have a whole healthy breakfast and a whole healthy lunch and dinner, there is no need for snacks in between. Um, the whole, you know, eat five meals a day or smaller meals a day, that whole, that that way of eating was sort of debunked as the best way to eat. There isn't a best way to eat. You can have two meals a day. You can have three meals a day, right? But I think the constant snacking, uh, especially for kids, has become quite uh, troublesome, right? Because you'll have kids, they'll eat breakfast, they'll go to school for a little bit, snack, school, lunch, um, school, snack, <laughs> school, and they come home and they want another snack, okay? Mm-hmm. I know kids are growing, but that's extreme. Right. Mm -hmm. And then layered on top of that, a lot of schools have a milk program where you can order um, white milk or chocolate milk. Right. So that's another snack that they're getting at school. And there's there's no need for that. If kids eat their whole lunch when they're supposed to. Right. There's no need for those intermittent snacks throughout the day. Um, If, you know, they have the the nutritious food that they need at each of the meals, then I I don't think those are necessary. I don't know when that has been built into the system. Um, And it's hard to get away from as well, right? When, you know, your kids sitting there, they can't sit there and not have a snack when the other 25 kids in their class are eating a snack, right? Um, And they also know how to play the game, right? Our, our older kid, you know, a few times we had um, notes in their lunchbox coming home. Oh, he was very hungry, so we gave him another snack. Like mm-hmm. nobody's that hungry. Did you see him eat his lunch? He is not starving, yeah. right? So the kids also, I mean, they're geniuses, right? They know the teachers have granola bars and uh, juice boxes, right? Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't they ask for it? Yeah, they're looking for those emergency snacks. Absolutely, that's what they're looking for. Uh, children do not need as many calories as people believe they do, um, and the human body does not need to eat five, six, seven times a day. Every time we ingest food there is a process that happens through your digestive system. Your body is releasing specific enzymes to break down food. There is a muscle contraction occurring in your smooth muscle and your intestines. Once you've actually absorbed the nutrients from the food, dispense them throughout the body, store them where they need to go, your digestive system needs a break. It needs downtime. It's like a muscle. It can't work all the time. So if you're eating three meals a day, you're giving your digestive system plenty of time to rest and digest. But if you're continually putting food in every two hours, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the side effects? The nutrients are not absorbed as well as they could. Well, how would you know that would happen? Well, if your child is having stomach pain, if your child is having irregular bowel movements, a lot of diarrhea, those are indications that they're not digesting their food well, and they might need a little bit more time off. But then they might say things like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Well, is it habitual or is it calorically nutritious? Are they saying they're hungry because they're used to eating all the time? 
Are they saying they're hungry because the foods that they have been eating have a very high sugar content, like a fruit roll-up, like juices, a very low nutritionally dense content? So is there any protein in there? Is there complex carbohydrates in there? Is there any fiber? I will say the F word on here. Um, is there fiber in there? Is there any vegetables in there? If not, they're going to metabolize that juice very quickly. They are going to get an insulin response. They will get a spike. They will then get a drastic drop. They're going to want that again. So it's not their fault. Their brain is telling their body that they need to have that spike of energy again and go and get more sugar. So they will crave the sugar. It's a terrible cycle that keeps happening and happening and happening. But there's ways around that. You are a PN uh, nutrition coach. If I'm sure you've dealt with clients, not children who've been in those situations before. What are one or two tips you might have for them? And maybe even apply this to, to parents working with kids to help fend off kind of that blood sugar spiking and dropping. Yeah, absolutely. I think prioritizing those nutrient-dense foods um, would be your number one priority. So things like vegetables, things with protein in it, right? Um, when they're not at school, ha having them have nuts, right, as, as sort of a, another energy source. Um, and, and try to stay away from the processed foods, right? The one thing I like to, to mention to people is have foods with one ingredient. Have an apple, right? Apple is fine. Apple juice is not. Apple juice is not an alternative to an apple. It doesn't have fiber, mm -hmm. right? And that's where you get that blood sugar uh, crash that you don't get when you eat an apple, right? So that's sort of that big misconception is, well, it's 100% fruit juice. Yes, but there's no fiber. When you eat an apple, you're getting the fiber from the pulp, from the skin, mm -hmm. right? And that's what helps um, metabolize the sugars in, in the food. Right. And that's sort of that big, the, the big thing with, with these processed foods is they're, they're missing some of those, those parts of that whole food mm -hmm. um, that make that food complete. Right. And, and better off for you overall. And when you, when you leave an apple out on the counter, it goes bad. Food spoils. Apple juice doesn't spoil. Apple juice doesn't go bad. Nature never designed us to be drinking apple juice specifically. There's parts of the whole apple that our body will utilize very well. Yeah. Uh, and that's just it. Right. And, and, you know, having those, those, you know, healthy snacks, like you could have um, vegetables and hummus, for example, right. With the chickpeas and the oils, it's really good for you. Um, and also, you know, having a chat with your kids, right. Are you actually hungry? Mm -hmm. Is your tummy grumbling? Right. And, and explain to them, it's okay to have that feeling, right. It's actually good. You want to have that grumbling tummy feeling mm -hmm. right it's also good for feeling a little bit uncomfortable mm -hmm. right we grow and we get better right when we're a little bit uncomfortable mm -hmm. right and being a little bit hungry is okay mm -hmm. right and I think a lot of people we forget that right our kids can feel hungry for a little bit mm -hmm. right so that they also are able to regulate the way that they're feeling um, and then they can recognize these signs right am I bored right and I'm sure we've all heard that you know as as once children ourselves, right? Um, you know, you're not hungry, you're just bored. And, and I know adults feel that too, right? Are mm -hmm. you actually hungry or you're just bored and looking for something to do, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to teach that very young and determine those, those differences, I think will be really helpful um, for young people moving on. Yeah, and, and sometimes when, um, when people have uh, digestive issues, okay, they could have a bad uh, microbiome, they could have uh, GERD, they could have acid reflux, one of the best ways to actually treat that, and we had an expert on here, Dr. Norm, um, who's a microbiologist. Um, so he said, starve it. His, his go-to advice on average is very broad though. He said, a lot of times people have digestive issues, starve it. 
So you could have certain bacteria imbalances in your stomach. You could be ingesting too much of something such as dairy that you don't digest well. So what you need to do is actually skip a couple meals, go into a little bit of a fast, and that can actually help reset or can help your body um, break down some of the foods a lot better than constantly overindulging and overeating. Absolutely. And I think too, you know, we want our kids to, to eat their dinner and eat their breakfast, but there's sometimes where our, our older kid wakes up and he's just not hungry for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't see a problem with him skipping breakfast occasionally. Right. Maybe he had a really big dinner. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you sort of take it, I, I kind of look at it as like a weekly thing, right. In, in a seven days, right. Did he eat well most of the time? Right. It's okay to have that. Like we were talking at the beginning, right. That ice cream or that indulgent treat. Right. But we're looking at it in, in a, in the big picture, right? In that sort of seven day window, right? Did he skip breakfast maybe one or two days, right? And that's okay too. If they're not hungry, right? Forcing them to eat is, is another issue too. We also want them to have a healthy relationship with food, yeah. right? Um, because that can have long-term impacts um, on, on their overall health, right? Um, especially later on in life where it manifests itself in different ways. Yeah, I, I will say, here's a little hack for anyone listening. I will say to my kids sometimes when we have junk food, I will say, we're going to have this junk food right now. I say, is this good food? Is this good food or is this junk food? I'll say it's junk food. Good. I say, is it okay to have junk food every now and then? Yes, daddy, it is. What happens if we have too much junk food? I get an upset tummy. Absolutely. So that is educating them. And if you're out there, if you're listening and you're an adult and you have your favorite junk food and it causes your tummy to be upset too, (laughs) it's okay to have, but be aware there might be a consequence. And sometimes it's also the volume of it, where if you had you know, uh, let's say, for example, it was ice cream, and a big bowl of ice cream upsets your stomach, but a small bowl of ice cream does not, then that is a volume specific, where you could have something, but if you have too much, it's going to have a negative side effect or consequence on the body. How many times do I hear a lot of parents say, well, I make a meal for me, and then I make a different meal for my children? What do you do at your household? Do you make- Oh man, don't waste your time. (laughs) Set that example, right? If we go back to that, set that example, right? The kids should be eating what what you're eating, right? Um, You know, there are going to be some foods that your kids just aren't going to like, right? Our kids don't like fish. I get it, right? There's a lot of adults that don't like fish, Mm -hmm. right? But I think sort of setting that standard right from the beginning will will save you time. Yeah, it's going to hurt some days, right? There are days where we sit there for, for 30, 40 minutes, right? As the kids work through their meal. It's not their favorite, Right. But even when the kids were were babies, I took my meal, whatever we were having, and I threw some of it in the blender with a little bit of water. And that's what they ate before they had teeth. Right. Mm -hmm. So they were exposed really, really early to these robust flavors in in different kinds of foods. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was an easy transition into sharing the same meal. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And you'll you'll sort of work your way through it. But absolutely, you know, you set that example. They should be eating what what you're eating and having those, those family meals. Um, right. You know, give or take a few, a few foods here and there, but I think by and large, absolutely save your time. (laughs) Right. Um, and then again, it'll set that example. Yeah. Children, children's palates are a little bit different than adult palates and they do change over time at a faster rate than, than ours do. But at the end of the day, if you took food away from me long enough, and then you put salt on grass, I would eat it. So when you're, when you're hungry, you'll eat almost anything. So back to what you were saying before about sometimes the children say, I don't want to eat. 
you can then say, okay, don't eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. Just skip it. And then you don't get a snack later. You go right to lunch and then eat your lunch. I've used the same concept with if they don't want it, if they don't want to eat what is in front of them. The option is you can have what's in front of you or you can have nothing. And then they would choose nothing and I wouldn't feed them anything later. And parents, this is, it's hard. It's hard. They're going to push you. They're going to manipulate you. They might cry, but you only have to do it once or twice. And then every time moving forward, they will know that their only option is what's in front of them or they go hungry or they just go hungrier until the next day. And we've had, I've had my kids say, I, I don't want to eat this. I say, that's fine. You're not getting anything else. They'll now say, okay, that's fine. And then they'll put their dish on the counter and they just won't eat until the next meal. And now it's more routine, but we had to, had to be tough in the beginning. And it's the hardest part in my, I find about parenting is making those types of decisions is, is, is it's, it's easy to give in. It's hard not to, because then you got to deal with the whining. You got to deal with the complaining. You got to deal with being sad, but it works over time, but it's a lot easier to just say, I'll make a second meal for you. Absolutely. Right. And we're busy. Parents are busy. They want sort of the, they've had enough by the end of the day. The last thing they want to do is sit down at the dinner table and argue. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can see the allure of, you know, well, I'll just give the kids this and I'll eat this. Right. But I think in the long run, um, you're, you're setting your yourself up for, for, um, a healthier child in the, in the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not being a nutritionist myself, um, but ch children need more fat in their diet for brain development, especially at the, the toddler age, the baby age than an adult would. So high fat diets tend to be good. But what's also interesting is in nature, and I've had multiple experts on the show agree and say the exact same thing. In nature, fat is always combined with a protein in almost everything you find. And carbohydrates are usually by themselves. It's very rare carbohydrate in nature is also with a protein or even rare um, a carbohydrate is also with a fat, maybe an avocado, but mostly like carbs are by themselves. Fat is always with protein and, and children, babies, toddlers, they, they need a little bit more fat in their diet. Um, so some people will tend to think that dairy is a great source, you know, with a, a brand new baby, give them milk and then young adults give them milk and stuff. What's your take on the dairy? What do you do with your kids? Um, it's not, it's not necessary. You can get fat from a variety of other sources. And um, when we chose not to supplement um, breastfeeding with cow's milk, um, we did other things like nuts, right? Seeds, avocados, right? Those higher fat foods. Um, we just made sure that those were a, a big part of the kids, the kids diet. And dairy is not a, a staple in our household. It's, it's a treat, right? Mm -hmm. It really is a treat. Um, the dairy that we have nowadays is highly processed, highly. right? Um, and, and, there's know, and there's sugar added to it, right? Yeah. Remember I said in nature, you don't see carbs and fats and protein all in one thing. However, you see it in most, most milk products today. That's right. And, and milk, you know, when, you know, 20, 30 years ago, when you're drinking milk, you were drinking a glass of milk, like, and I'm talking a 250 milliliter, like a glass, a small glass, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's been supersized, right? So instead of a kid having a glass of milk, right, they're having like a giant glass of milk, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a big difference as well. And they're also taking away um, from from nutrition from other sources, right? So when you have a giant glass of milk, you're probably not going to be hungry, mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to replace it with things like almond milk and, and um, coconut milk and stuff like that because they are also somewhat void of, of nutrients as well. If you read the, the nutrition label on almond milk, 
it's just kind of flavored water, right? Mm -hmm. It really doesn't replace anything. It's great in shakes because it sort of adds a little bit of flavor, but just replace it, that, that need for fat with whole foods, right? Do you want, yeah. Do you want to know what I, what I give my kids a drink? What water, is water, water, water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got, we got these things in our house on uh, our main floor and upstairs, uh, a few different rooms, these spouts, and you can turn this little thing and water comes out. So there's always water available in my house. And when my kids are thirsty, that's what they, believe it or not, that's what they drink. I've met parents say their kids don't drink water, but they have the choice of the juice or they have the choice mm -hmm. of the milk. When you take that away, they, they will drink what is available. Remember, I've been deprived of skydiving whole life, whole life. It's the same thing. You don't have to give kids certain things if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point too, right? And also, again, we go back to that example, right? If you're carrying around a water bottle as a parent, right, the kids are going to see that. They're going to want their own water bottle, right? They're mm -hmm. going to prioritize that. They're going to want to be like their parents, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's an important thing to remember mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, so you've been in the school system as well for a decade now, working at the high school um, age category. So we're going to older kids as well. Have you seen any things that have come to light over the years that maybe you didn't see in their earlier days that's affecting their health? Absolutely. I think one of the, well, there are two, two things and I'll touch on both of them. The first one is, well, social media and sort of video games for lack of a better way to describe it. And I've seen it to the point where kids come to class the next day after being up all night. Okay. And mm. they look drunk. Mm. They look drunk. Um, they haven't slept. And not only have they not slept, they've also been stimulated, right? And it's a different kind of brain stimulation when you're looking at social media, for example, and you're getting that instant feedback, you're getting that instant gratification. Dopamine. And same with video games, mm -hmm. right? It's not like reading a book all night, right? It's a different sort of brain stimulation. So they're not able to recover. Your brain needs time to recover. And especially for, for teens and they're learning all day, right? So you get kids, they can't stay awake in class, right? They can't learn. If they don't have those, those, um, proper conditions going into learning, right? If they're tired or if they're hungry, they're not going to learn. Regardless mm -hmm. of how good their teacher is, right? Or how interesting the, the topic is, they have to have those, those conditions for learning. If they don't exist, we might as well just, just not, right? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of been a, a really big thing. And that's why breakfast programs in schools are so important, right? Kids need to uh, not be hungry, right? Think about even yourself. Have you ever gone to a uh, a, uh, a training session or something like that, where you're sitting there learning and you're, just, and you're hungry, right? What are you thinking about? I just got to get a bite. This right. something. Give me an animal right. leg or something. I need a bite. <laughs> that's exactly it, right? You're not listening. You're not focused. You're not engaged in what's going on, right? So that's sort of a, a really big issue. And what's happened, I'd say in the last five years or so is the availability of food. Kids will order Uber Eats to the school and they will go and get their, their Uber eat food at the front door of the school. We've had to eat, and especially during COVID, we've had to say like, you can't, you can't do that, right? Because we can't have another person showing up at the door, right? And we're trying to keep the school safe, but kids mm -hmm. will order that the availability of food now is insane. But right? what, kind so of, what kind of things would they be ordering through Uber Eats, like to the oh. school? fast food right so hamburgers that kind of stuff um poutine they'll order okay hold on let me see if i get this straight you're in class you're teaching you're in the classroom got 30 kids in there someone knocks on the door there's a call yeah there is so and so is here with a big mac combo for one of your students 
Well, yeah, it would be at the office, but yeah, they would call the kid down between breaks or the kid would order it during class to pick it up at lunchtime. Yeah. That's mind boggling. It's, it's an issue. And, and another thing too is, is um, I, I've seen a lot of the um, sugar drinks, right? So the frappuccinos, things like that, the kids will get, and that'll be their only food, right? Mm-hmm. So they come to class, they drink their, their, their drink, and then they can't, they can't function for the rest of the afternoon because all they've really had is like 45 grams of sugar mm-hmm. um, and the caffeine. Mm. right that kind of stuff didn't exist when when we were going through school right we had the school cafeteria mm-hmm. and that that was kind of it so we're also seeing sort of a, an increase in that right um a lot of schools have um have like food places right next to them yeah. right every school i've worked at has like a strip mall mm-hmm. <laughs> right next to it and the, the strip malls thrive because every day at lunch hundreds of students walk over and order whatever food um they want so yeah. that that's really been a big thing and I, I think that's really impacted um students overall health and I've I've certainly seen um students don't seem to be as healthy now um as they were 10-15 years ago so would you say um there's a few things I want to address there um uh, would you say that on that aspect physically you can see they don't look as healthy or they're not performing as well maybe the retention is not as good in class or both I would say both both yeah, absolutely. I th- statistically, I know for sure, you know, when we look at um, obesity rates and when we, and people don't like to talk about obesity, but it's a fact. It, it is there. Obesity rates are higher. Obesity is classified as height to weight ratio. If you are a certain weight at a certain height, you could be considered overweight. You could be considered obese if it's 30 or above. And now there's always going to be outliers and everybody thinks that they're jacked and full of muscle. Their body fat is 5%. But the reality is, unless you are in a a high weightlifting protocol, maybe you're a weightlifter, a gymnast, the majority of people, if you are classified as obese, you probably are obese and your body fat percentage is a little bit high. We have to stop pretending that that is okay. And we have to address it. And if you're seeing it in the school systems and I am seeing it, you know, in the, in the fitness industry, something is wrong. And I don't think, I definitely don't think it's the kid's fault. I don't think it's the parent's fault either because I think a lot of times they're being misguided. They are misunderstanding the information out there. The businesses are putting a McDonald's beside a school, like you just said. They are putting things, you know, in, from a marketing perspective. When you and I, or you and your husband, go to the grocery store and you're in the cereal aisle, all the, the high sugar cereal, are they at the very top of the shelf? Or are they right around the four feet position they're they're at the bottom and that's not so i can grab them that is so the children can see them and say i want this i want this and what do you want to do as a parent you want your children to be happy so it makes total sense to then grab that that you know that that sugar-filled cereal but you look at the box what's the first thing it usually says added fiber you know Mm -hmm. uh, real fruit grains whole grains yeah and you might say well that must be good for my Mm -hmm. children because it says so so I don't think a lot of times it's always the children's fault. I think that the parents are, are being misguided. Would you agree with that statement? Absolutely. And even, you know, this may not be a popular opinion, but even the Canada's food guide is politically driven, right? Mm-hmm. There, and they, it has changed over the years, but, you know, a certain number of, um, of dairy, you know, um, recommended each day. You don't have to eat dairy right? Mm-hmm. It was the same thing with grains. The grain um, serving recommendation was very high, right? And again, that 
isn't needed, right? We, we look at the Canada's food guide as sort of this beacon of, okay, so what, as a parent, what can I, you know, give my, my family or give my kids to make them healthy, right? And even when we have things like that, that are, that are quite politically driven, right? By the dairy industry, by the farming industry, by the grain industry, right? When these, when these things influence Canada's food guide, right? It creates um, something that's not totally right. Okay, and I think that that's been an issue as well. Um, is is where do parents or where do families find appropriate information, right? And with the the internet and the social media and stuff like that, it's it, it is very difficult, right? How do you um, get the right information when you have such conflicting information? Mm-hmm. And you know, we're in this age now where how do you know, right? And I think that's where you need to reach out to a professional right, in your area, right, you had a few um, nutrition people on your your podcast uh, last week, I believe, right, that's who you need to reach out to, if you have questions, book a consultation, see somebody that has spent their life studying these things, and they'll be able to point you in the right direction. 100%, I mean, YouTube has its place, but sometimes you need a little expert uh, advice when it comes to nutrition, or you're going to be working with your children and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you've given a lot of small little tips here. So we, we addressed right now that a lot of times it's not always just a child's fault. I, I just want to rewind. You said caffeine. I remember when I was in high school, caffeine was for old people, mm-hmm. right? Like coffee and stuff. And, and now when I drive by a Starbucks, I will see a lineup, you know, between 1130 and one. So I see a well, pre-COVID days. I'd see a lineup out the door, high school kids or middle school kids. And they're going there to get the frappuccinos and stuff. And you're right with all the caffeine. What does the caffeine do to, to uh, you know, a young person if they're trying to learn? Does it help them? No, they need to sleep. <laughs> they need proper nutrition. They need sleep. They don't need external stimulants, right? That is the last thing that they should be doing, right? The sleep, if they're tired, there's something else going on, right? They don't need caffeine. Right. So the biggest thing would, you know, look, take a look at their life. Right. Are they sleeping? Are they following proper sleep habits? Right. And, and, and those are areas that need to be addressed. Right. No one needs caffeine. We love caffeine. Right. But it certainly shouldn't be anything introduced to, to younger, mm-hmm. to younger people. Yeah. Uh, Ma- uh, Dr. Matthew Walker, um, he was, uh, or he's been researching sleep for over 20 years and he's a professor, I believe at Harvard and then at university of California. And he talks about sleep. He's got different ranges. And he says, you know, like infants need almost 16 hours a day, toddlers around 14 preschoolers, 10 to 13, and even, um, the high school uh, age teens, eight to 10 hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. You're having kids come in when the new video game comes out, they're up all night, right? They got to get the high score. You got kids that are smashing caffeine drinks, you know, in the morning, midday and so forth. You have kids that are getting punched in the face with stimulants, with video games and social media, dopamine hits, dopamine hits, dopamine hits over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Then they're coming into your classroom and they have to sit and listen to you teach, like you teach law, you taught phys ed, like some, some subjects probably aren't that stimulating. What are some things that you've done in your teaching practice to try to counter that because I have a feeling that the average student today, the one you and I were in school, can't learn the way that we used to. Yeah. So, you know, this is like encouraging, you know, drinking water throughout class, 
right? And then having having that like offset the example, I will have water as well, right? I always have a water bottle on me. I also encourage healthy snacks, right? I tell them at the beginning of the year, I say, I have no problem with you eating in class. Some of the kids are busy, right? They do stuff during lunch. They actually don't have time to eat their lunch, right? But I tell them, I said, it needs to be healthy. It needs to be fruits and vegetables and that kind of stuff, right? I don't want to see a chocolate bar in my classroom. Right. And I'm well within my my right to kind of say that. Right. Um, it sort of encouraged those healthy snacks. Um, for a while there, I was bringing in um, I had uh, bananas and apples in my classroom. Right? If a kid was hungry, instead of them going down to the vending machine, so just grab an apple. Right. Grab grab a banana. And, and part of the issue, too, is we have vending machines in our schools. Yes, they've moved to healthier alternatives, but those are sun chips. Right. Um, uh, vitamin water, things like that. And what they also don't take into consideration is that there a sort of percentage of the vending machines need to be healthy food, right? But nobody's stopping them from not restocking that, that junk food more than they restock the healthy food. And I also do get that vending machines do bring in revenue for schools, right? Um, but why do we even have vending machines at schools? Honestly, right? I remember we had one when I was in high school, I think it had ice cream. Right. Amazing. But right. Who is that really helping? Me. Right. Um, 15 year old Chris, I would be all over <laughs> that. No self-control. It's funny. I remember getting my driver's license and I remember driving and um, I come to a stop sign once. It was like a four way. I'm alone in a car. I have my license and I, I wasn't sure what to do. I'm not kidding. I was 16, 17 years old. I'm in a four-way and I just kind of blanked out and forgot. And I remember just rolling down my window and waving people around me because I couldn't think of what to do. I was technically legally allowed to drive a vehicle that could end my life and others, but I wasn't ready to. I should not, I don't, I shouldn't have been behind a wheel. So 14-year-old Chris in high school with ice cream in a vending machine. Are you kidding me? I would have had ice cream you know, four or five times a day, if I could, I don't think they need to be in schools either, either. Yeah. And I think that's really up to, you know, the adults mm -hmm. in their lives to, mm -hmm. to help them make those decisions. We know teens don't often think rationally, right. They're still, their brain development still goes on until they're 25. Right. So they need to have a little bit more guidance. Right. And then where does this guidance from, come from? Well, the, the sort of the adults in, in their lives, whoever that may be. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important as well. You've nailed some really, really key uh, points of advice for overall health. And we did want to talk about how to, how to raise healthy children and stuff. I'm just going to ask you to give one or two tips at a different area. So one or two tips for parents on how to raise healthy kids or one or two things you think are best for them. So the, the best thing would be to, you know, look at, at the nutrition, right? Um, what foods are you, are you feeding your kids? How often? Right. And then set that example. So, you know, try to take some time, maybe sit down with your kids and have them help help you plan for the week. What snacks do they want to have or what food do they want to have with lunch? Right. So they're sort of part of the process and they feel invested in their own nutrition, I think would be would be one thing um, in terms of fitness. Right. Just go out and have fun. Do fitness things. Get your heart rate up. Right. Walking isn't enough. Right. You need to increase your heart rate. Go to the park. Go to the track right? Do little things like, I bet you can't run around the block in less than three minutes, mm -hmm. right? And put those little bit of challenges and, and go with them, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Again, setting that example, you need to show them that it is possible and the benefits of it. And then the other thing is habits, setting those, those good habits, sleep habits, right? Talking about screen time with your kids, right? These 
you, you'd be surprised at how um, closely your kids are watching you. Mm-hmm. Right. Even, you know, for example, the four, our four-year-old, right. We love to read in our household, right. He'll lay on the couch next to us and read his novel. He's four. He actually doesn't know how to read, but the very fact that he's, you know, he's, he's emulating us, right. He, he's doing what we're doing, even though he doesn't know how to do it yet. We're already starting those, those um, positive habits with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that example really shows how, how much kids see what you're doing and want to be like you. So what I'm hearing is like from a nutritional standpoint is have the children involved with the process as well. Absolutely. And then from an exercise standpoint, I'm hearing be the example, be the example, make it fun. I will piggyback on those two. Here's one of my hacks. We do the tummy test in my house. The tummy test. You ready for this? Yeah. When my children are eating and they say, daddy, I want more. I say, come here, tummy test, pull up their shirts and I feel their belly. And when their belly is distended, you know, like when you've had that, when you've had a good meal, your, your belly sticks out. For you and me, it usually means we've had a little bit more than we should. But for them, I say, okay, you've had enough food. Your belly is sticking out right now. You're good. You don't need any more. As ridiculous as that sounds, it works. It works 100% of the time once you've done it a couple of times. Then explain to them, you've eaten enough food. You don't have to eat until you're full. Sorry, mom. And I'm talking to my mom. Growing up, it was if, if you're not full, you're not doing it right. But you don't have to eat until you're full. You have to eat until you're you feel good. And fullness is not always feeling good. So the tummy test is one of the hacks that that I'll always have. You got the tummy test. Okay, your belly's distended. You're good. You don't need any more. And then eventually, the kids they learn that they don't have to eat more. They don't have to eat to be full all the time. Yeah. And then for the exercise, you talked about being the example and making it fun. What I will do sometimes is I will make it a competition with the kids, but I got to make the, I got to make it a little bit fair. You know, my kids are four and six too. So example, nine laps around the block on your bike, you got to beat daddy. And I'm going to try to run three laps around the block, trying to be that example. Now, what is one or two tips that you might give a high school student um, to be healthier when it comes to nutrition and exercise? Yeah, that's a good question. And that, that one I think would, would be really good for a lot of the students I teach. Um, honestly, I think that the, the first thing I would say would, would be to check in with your sleep habits. This is, I believe, one of the, the biggest issues with, with teens nowadays. And that encompasses a lot of steps. So not only, you know, going to bed um, at an appropriate time, and teens tend to stay up later, and that's, that's okay. But then, you know, making sure that those habits leading up to the sleep are also really good. So take your phone out of your room, right? Take your computer out of your room, take away all those, those things that stimulate your brain and shut those down a little bit before you go to bed. Right. Mm -hmm. So that you're able to get a better sleep when you are able to sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. So that would be the, the big thing. And then when you're also, when you're not tired, you're also not going to be craving the sugar and the carbohydrates that come along with being fatigued. Mm -hmm. So you know, you got the good sleep, you wake up in the morning, have a good breakfast and try to stick to as much as you can those whole foods. I know sometimes that we're confined to what our parents cook for us, right? But just being aware and trying to keep those high sugar and those caffeine, right? Those drinks are the really, I see as the biggest culprit of uh, nutritional def- de- um, deficiencies mm-hmm. in, in teens as they replace a lot of their, their calories with with drinks, right? Whether it be a monster energy drink or a frappuccino from, from Starbucks. So I think those two big things would be healthy sleep habits and drink more water. 
I love that idea. And I think you nailed it. And I think that if there was anything to offer for advice, that would be probably the most effective that you could give a, a teenage child. The most effective would be addressing those sleep habits first. And just lastly here, I know you've, you've been a mom for almost seven years. There's other moms out there who probably feel, they, they feel sometimes the shame, you know, like maybe they, maybe they're listening to this and they're like, you know what, half the stuff they said not to do, I, I do. Right? Maybe they feel bad about it. What, what tip or what last piece of advice you might give other moms or dads out there? Maybe they weren't doing this stuff great and they want to make a change. What kind of advice would you give them? I would say, you know, don't feel bad. That changes nothing. Just think about what are some incremental changes that I can make in, in our lives. Feeling bad or feeling shamed about something doesn't move you forward. It keeps you stuck in the past. So I would just say, pick one thing that you can do. If it's maybe drink more water, get get rid of the juice, mm-hmm. get rid of the juice out of the house, get rid of the pop, replace that with water. And that's what you do. And then when that's ha- that habit has stuck, or you've made that change, then move on to another one. You can't expect to do hundred changes the next day. I would do, you know, little things often so that you can, you can make your way to, to being overall more healthy. Mm-hmm. There are two things that are absolutes in this world. One is the sun will rise and set every day. And two, if it's in your house, it's going to be eaten. Don't have it in your house. Miss Rafferty, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Project Fitness Podcast today. I thank you so much for your time and your efforts here. For any parents out there who want to get in touch with you a little bit more, maybe they got some questions on this stuff, how would they go about that? You can contact me on Instagram at Meg underscore Raff, M-A-G underscore R-A-F-F. Um, send me a DM and, I, and I'll get back to you. You could also reproduce, you could have children, you could raise them and right around the ages of 14 to 17, enlist them in the school where Miss Rafferty teaches at too. Thank you so much for being on today, Maggie. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Great day. Bye. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.